And now, now, it's time for your Low Country Real Estate Market Update. It's the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show. Brian is one of the top 1% real estate agents in Charleston. Find him online at listingsincharleston.com. That's listingsincharleston.com. Or call him at 843-800-0065. That's 843-800-0065. Now, broadcasting from the WTMA studios, here's your host, Brian Beatty. Good morning, Charleston, and welcome to another edition of the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show here on The Big Talker, 1250 WTMA and WTMA.com. I'm your host, Brian Beatty. Thanks again for joining me this morning. Gosh, 11 years I've been on this program, helping you better understand the real estate market and the trends within it so that when it comes time for you to buy, sell, or invest in real estate, you're an informed consumer, right? You know what's happening in the market. You know the process of buying, selling, or investing in real estate. You know the right questions to ask so that you come out on top. So I'm Brian Beatty, your host. If this is your first time joining me, I've been selling real estate here locally. This is my 19th year in the residential real estate business. About a billion dollars sold over that span of time, about 1,500 transactions. And so I relay my experiences so that, again, you're an informed consumer. So today, we're going to talk about uh, really what happened last year. There's a report that comes out around this time every year that gives a really nice recap on what happened in our local market last year. So we're going to talk about prices, sales, listings, distressed property or lack thereof, new construction. Uh, we're going to talk about a few other things as well. Like we're going to revisit the fall of Silicon Valley Bank. We're going to talk about a looming over $2 trillion in commercial debt that's going to be coming due in the next two years and what that means for the residential real estate market, the economy at large. And then we're going to talk a little bit about kind of how the market's performing so far this year. There's been a lot of questions about you know, are we going to be in a better market this year? Are we expecting more of the same? Are prices going to come up? What's going to happen with interest rates? So a lot of questions, a lot of concerns. And then, of course, this is a political year. So we're going to hear a lot of folks saying, well, we're going to wait and see what happens with the election before we make any sort of decision. So we're going to bounce around with a few topics this morning. Uh, if you have any questions, if you want to reach out to me personally, you're thinking about buying a home, selling a home, investing in real estate, Maybe you have a home that you'd like for us to manage for you, or you're thinking of selling real estate as a profession, then give me a call. My number, which you can call or text, is 843-800-0065. That's 843-800-0065. Or you can check us out online at listingsincharleston.com. That's our website, listingsincharleston.com. A lot of great information on there. You can search homes for sale, find out how much your home is worth. You can access, gosh, over 800 videos on YouTube as we record this show so you can put a face to the voice. And then, of course, don't forget about our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play, just the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show. So let's dive right in. This 2023 annual report on the Charleston housing market covers a lot of things. Uh, and first, it just kind of gives an overview of the market in general. And we all know that last year was just not a great year for real estate, right? We had issues with affordability serious issues with affordability. We had in a, a listing inventory that remained relatively unchanged. I mean, we really didn't see a spike, so to say, in in new listings. We didn't expect to see a spike in new listings. And that's because, of course, over the past several years, many people bought homes and got interest rates at or below 3%. You know, two-thirds of the nation has an interest rate at or below 4%, which is incredible. So as folks are looking at 
making a move. Maybe the home is too small. Maybe there's just a a life change, and now they're ready for something different. A lot of folks have been kind of sidelined when they look at the cost of buying a new house in comparison to what they're paying now, and that of course led to a decrease in sales. You know, we finished twenty twenty three locally with a little over seventeen thousand closings. That's a that's down about fifteen percent from what we saw in two thousand and twenty two. Now listings, you know, the number of homes that went on the market was down. Four percent. You know, at the end of 2023, we had a little under 3,000 homes available for sale in our local market, and we're actually even lower than that right now. So, uh, new listings—the number of new homes that hit the market was down 11 percent last year. Now, when we're looking at demand and we're looking at you know gauging interest uh, among buyers for the properties that we sell, one tool that we use when we talk with sellers is a showing report. So just you know, picture this. You're a real estate agent. A buyer contacts you and they want to show or they want to view several properties. Well, you as the real estate agent just go online through the MLS. You select the homes that you want to show that buyer that day. With a few clicks of a button, a third-party service then coordinates everything for you. So they'll contact the seller. The seller says yes, no, or you know, suggests a different time. But then once that showing is approved, the showing instructions are sent to the agent and they go and they show the property. And just a quick tangent here, but while that's great and, and while that third-party company has alleviated real estate agents and their need to play middleman to coordinate showings, you know, so on one hand, it's great, right? It's a very efficient tool. But on the other hand, the challenge is the person showing the property and the person that represents the property are no longer talking to one another before those showings occur. And I see that as a big opportunity for listing agents because we want them to be informed about the property. We want them to know what makes it special so that they can point that out to the buyer. But we also need to make sure that the people that are walking through our listings are qualified. You know, they're ready, willing, and able to purchase a home. So we're asking things like, if they walk through the home and they like what they see, are they in a position to make an offer? And you know, we cancel a decent amount of our showings. I don't know the exact percentage, but it's probably one in five, one in six showings because the buyer is not a buyer. They're a looker, right? And I don't want to kick somebody out of their house for an hour and, and, and have them clean it and prepare it for a showing only to find out that the buyer's not going to be moving until later that year. You know, they've got to sell their home in Florida and they're still waiting on retirement. And it's just, not a good use of time for the seller. So um, we use that tool, however, to, to just tie this all together. We use that tool to help sellers understand when we hit the market, based on your area, your price range, the type of home that you're selling, this is the number of showings we should expect to see over the next 30 days, right? We have a target to shoot for. And of course, if we're at or we're getting more showings, than what the averages tell us, then we're in a good position. If we're below that number, then we have to watch that very closely because that tells us that in relation to other properties, we're just not getting the kind of activity that we should be getting. And we're going to tie that in a little bit later on in the show to uh, price reductions, right? There's a really, um, sellers are concerned when they put their property in the market that they're going to have to drop their price and they don't want to do that. So I want to, I want to dissect that a little bit. I want to dive deeper into that and we'll do that later on in the show. 
But showings overall, overall showing activity was down 10% in 2023 compared to 2022. Now, distressed properties. This is an interesting one because you're going to see statistics like, you know, there was a 17% increase in distressed sales locally. And that in and of itself sounds like a fairly big number, right? A 17% increase in distress sales. Well, the reality is distress sales only make up 0.7% of the overall sales in our local market. I mean, I remember back in, I want to say it was 2011 or maybe 2012 when distress sales made up almost 30% of our market. That's when I was doing a ton of short sales, bank-owned sales, helping investors, helping sellers get out of really bad situations. And it's really just not a, it's not a big part of our market right now. Now, new construction, new construction was, uh, you know, for all the folks that had a lower interest rate that just decided not to sell or to put their plans on hold while these interest rates hopefully come down this year, which there's been some good news with regard to that. Um, new construction picked up the piece there and and really benefited greatly from from just the lack of resales. In fact, if I look at new construction, the top three areas in our market for new construction was number one, Goose Creek and Monk's Corner, right? They had 42.7% of their market shares, new construction. Then the Wando and Canehoy area, you know, off Clements Ferry Road, they were at 38%. And then Somerville was at 37%. John's Island for for several years has kind of led the pack in that regard. They're down to about 30%, still plenty of new construction in John's Island. Um, But what these these builders are doing is a lot of these builders, whether you know it or not, actually also own the mortgage company that you can go through to get financing. And so what these new construction company or builders are doing is they're still making money when they build and sell a home but because they also own the mortgage company, they're manipulating the introductory interest rate that you get. In fact, many of them are offering interest rates that are one to two percentage points lower than what you could just go into a a bank or speak with a, a loan officer and get. And so that has been the incentive that has made it a struggle for people that are selling to compete with. If you're, if you're in an area and a price range where those buyers are going to be looking very heavily at new construction. And so there, there are some things that you need to know there from a new construction perspective. We've talked about this on this show in the past, where if you're going to go and buy a new construction home, I think there's this preconceived notion that you don't need the help of a real estate agent. And I'm here to tell you that you do because a lot of these builders, and, and we've unfortunately experienced this over the past several months, builders are changing rules. They're, uh, saying one thing, but doing another. We've had some really unfortunate uh, stories that, that I could share where builders have either promised something and then taken it away, or they've said, hey, you're going to have this type of home next to you and something else on the other side of you. And then they change their mind and it kind of changes the attractiveness of that specific lot that you are paying a premium for. So, uh, just a general, I guess, word of caution that when you're looking at new construction, please do yourself a favor and have a real estate agent, someone like me, go to the new construction community with you. And when it comes time for you to make an offer, let us help you with the negotiating process. And more importantly, let us help with the with the overall process from when it's built 
or from when it started until when it's actually built so that we make sure that we keep those builders honest. So new construction uh, really took a, a, a huge spike last year because of the interest rate issues that we've been dealing with. Now, as far as prices go, um, I'll tell you that in the general Charleston metro area, the tri-county area, right? Prices were up only a percent and a half from 2022. But if you go all the way back to 2019, prices are up 46%. In Berkeley County, there was no change in pricing last year compared to 2022. But over the past five years, that's gone up 50%. In Charleston County, it was up 8.5% from last year. It's up 62% from five years ago. And in Dorchester County, prices were up a little over 3% from last year and about 49% from the past five years. So this report has a bunch of information in it. I would love to get it in your hands if you're interested in taking a look at it. And of course, just a, you know, a simple caveat here, but every home is different. Every neighborhood is different. Every area, every price range. We have such a wide variety of properties in the Charleston area that if you're looking for specific localized information on what all of this means for you and the value of your home, or maybe we want to identify some areas that are positioned for growth that you want to buy or invest in, then of course, yes, get your hands on this report, but also contact me so that I can give you a personalized analysis on your home, which we do for folks all the time. No strings attached. Some folks are just curious and it's going to be way more accurate than you just going on something like Zillow because, and we've talked about this on the show too, but Zillow is, is flawed for two major reasons. Number one, it doesn't know what kind of upgrades you have in your home. Many times that just the overall data they have on your home is wrong, right? Maybe there was an addition done. Um, maybe you changed bedrooms and bathroom count. All of these things, of course, matter when we're valuing real estate. But number one, it doesn't know what kind of upgrades you have. And number two, it has no idea what kind of condition your home is in. These two things mean major things when it comes to valuing a piece of real estate. So if you're interested in that information, first and foremost, get your hands on this report. Just text the word report to 843-800-0065. That's 843-800-0065. Uh, it's a 10-page report. It goes through all different kinds of stats on our local market. Happy to send it your way. Again, just text the word report to 843-800-0065 or reach out to me personally if you're interested in having me perform an analysis on your home. This is the year where for our past clients, or this is the time of year rather, where for our past clients, we're doing an annual real estate review. So we're doing a bunch of these analysis anyways. If you'd like an analysis on your home, again, call or text 843-800-0065 or just check us out online at listingsincharleston.com. So if you want more specific information on what your home is worth, or maybe you're looking at buying a home and you're trying to identify some areas for opportunity, you know, we did talk last show about, you know, all the folks that are kind of still on the market from last year that remain unsold and how we're starting to see an increase in the number of price reductions. We're, we're seeing sellers essentially react to a softening real estate market. Now, will that continue this year? Tough to say. I mean, the, the Federal Reserve keeps kind of bouncing back and forth with regard to the number of rate cuts they're going to give us this year to ease the affordability issue that has been created over the past several years with increases in pricing and interest rates in relation to wages. So uh, tough to say what this year is going to look like. I personally think it's just going to be a bit of a more a normal 
real estate market, right? I don't think we're going to have a ton of uh, really catchy headlines this year. But of course, it's also a political year. And, you know, I think that the Biden administration is going to do what they can to try and at least uh, appear as though they're uh, trying to be helpful. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some stimulus coming our way or some, um, you know, tax breaks that that come or, or, or something along those lines that there's there's obviously going to be some form of a last ditch effort um, to try and make them appear as though they've been uh, an effective administration economically. And we all know that that's not really the case. But um, so, so we talked about just the state of the real estate market here locally. And one thing we didn't really talk about is just investors in general. And there's a new realtor.com analysis that came out this week, actually, that said that, um, you know, home purchases made by investors declined in the first three quarters of 2023. It's down about 33% compared to the first three quarters of 2022. And so from, from January to September of last year, investors on average bought about 11% of the inventory that was sold in any given month, which is down from 12% in 2022. But for those of you that have listened to this show for a long time, you might recall me saying in like 2020 that almost one in three purchases were being made by investors. And the majority of those purchases among investors were made by what we call mom and pop investors, right? Everyday folks that just invest in real estate, not necessarily, you know, hedge funds or Zillow or these companies that are now buying property at large. You know, Zillow lost, gosh, I think half a billion dollars last year um, when purchasing property that then they had to resell. So, you know, the, the, in, the investor, the, the inventory available for investors is very low right now. It, frankly, if you're an investor, it's really hard to find deals that make sense on paper. In other words, when we look at an investment property, when I look at investment properties for myself, of course I run an analysis, right? I have a specific return on investment that I need to achieve. And if the numbers just don't make sense, then you don't move forward, right? You don't force an investment uh, or and, and speculate entirely on things like an increase in rent or an increase in the value of the property. There is an element of speculation, of course, that always exists when you're analyzing a property given, you know, the area, the type of property, um, you know, local market trends, so on and so forth. But uh, invest in, investor-based purchases are, are down, right? A lot of those folks are not paying cash. Uh, well, I mean, they can pay cash, but a lot of them want to stretch their cash out for uh, variety's sake, right? They, they want to take that cash and invest in multiple properties, not just own one outright. So uh, investor deals, not only are hard to find, uh, but they're, they're just, it's saturated, right? Everyone's an investor. A lot of those folks have gotten out of the business, but there's still a ton of them out there. Uh, and it makes, you know, the math just not math very well, if you know what I mean. You know, the other thing that happened last year was the fall of Silicon Valley Bank. And, you know, so I want to dive into that kind of financial roller coaster that made headlines and, and kind of shook the market. Um, so, you know, just, I guess, picture this, you know, hundreds of millions in uninsured deposits on the line. And, you know, fear not, because guess who came to the rescue? Yes, you, the taxpayers, right? So this bank, Silicon Valley Bank, was heavily invested in the tech world and in venture capitalist backed 
startups. And of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, and it turns out this bank wasn't as diversified as it should have been. But fast forward to late 2022, early 2023, and the tech sector really starts feeling the pinch when funding dries up and massive layoffs start occurring. So you can blame it on the 2020 government stimulus, plenty of cash flowed into the sector until it just suddenly didn't. And so as the bank kind of struggles to hit their, you know, their headlines, depositors just they didn't waste any time. They pulled out their funds. And so here's the catch. Banks aren't exactly swimming in liquidity to handle massive withdrawals like that. You know, cue the liquidity of assets to meet the demand and what could be liquidated. You know, treasuries, the supposedly, you know, safest of investments. But, you know, spoiler alert, when interest rates skyrocket, the value of these assets take a nosedive. So those treasuries, once considered like gold, lost their shine uh, due to the previously locked in low interest rates. And so as those losses piled up, of course, the bank couldn't meet its obligations. And within 48 hours or so, it collapsed. Um, and that was the largest banking fall since the 2008 crisis. But there were four additional banks that followed suit, including First Republic, making it the second largest bank failure in U.S. history. So in total, we had about $550 billion just kind of gone in the wind. And so, you know, last year was one of, if not the worst banking years in U.S. history. And so as a result of the aftermath of banks like Silicon Valley Bank taking, taking a, a tumble, the entire industry then took notice. And, and you add to that the massive defaults that we're already real, witnessing in the real estate space, especially in the commercial space. And you've got a recipe for just heightened scrutiny and lower consumer confidence. But if we're talking, you know, numbers, specifically SCDR, you know, the debt service coverage ratio loan, uh, there's, we've talked about this on this show in the past and a DSCR loan or a debt service coverage ratio loan basically allows you to qualify to purchase a property based on the actual or even potential rental income of a property without giving massive uh, weight to you personally as a borrower. So rather than uh, looking at your tax return and bank statements and W-2s or 1099s and you know all that stuff, they're just analyzing the property itself to say, you know, does this property generate enough income and in return on investment for us, the lending institution, to feel comfortable providing you with a mortgage? And they typically aim for like 120%, meaning the property needs to generate 120% of the income needed to cover the debt. And so here's where things get really interesting. We've got about a little over $2 trillion dollars in commercial loans that are coming due over the next two years. And of course, the issue is when these folks got these mortgages and, and they, init you know, they, they initially got the mortgage, interest rates were much lower then than they are now. And so over the next two years, when these banks go to refinance the, the borrower, they are now looking at significantly higher payments they probably won't be able to meet that debt service coverage ratio of 120% that the bank felt comfortable enough to lend on in the first place. 
And you're going to see a lot of commercial assets, maybe even a lot of Airbnbs that um, need to be sold or repurposed in some way, shape or form, or just turn into defaults. You know, we've already seen massive developers across the country basically turn in the keys on potential investment deals or, or development deals because the, the numbers just don't make sense. And so it's going to make for a really interesting landscape this year in the commercial world. But how does that impact the residential real estate market? So let's, let's connect the dots. As commercial real estate experiences a slowdown, it then kind of sets off this chain reaction that can uh, kind of reverberate through various facets of, of the real estate landscape. And so here's just, here's kind of a few ways that a softening commercial real estate market can influence the residential housing market. And so the first one is just, you know, economic confidence, right? Commercial real estate often mirrors the overall health of the economy. A downturn in the commercial sector uh, can signal economic uncertainties. It affects consumer confidence. And when people are uncertain about the economy, they hesitate, right? When they make significant residential property investments. Of course, it impacts the job market, right? A lot of commercial properties serve as businesses, uh, offices, retail outlets. So a slowdown in the commercial activity may lead to job losses, businesses closing, impacting, of course, the local job market and then the local real estate economy as a whole. Um, of course, it also creates financing challenges, right? If these banks are tightening their lending due to concerns from commercial loan defaults, then that could spill over into the residential mortgage market. You know, stricter lending standards um, or, or higher interest rates may make it more challenging for home buyers to secure financing. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, it also can signal a, just a shift in real estate investments, right? Investors are often diversified in their portfolios between commercial and residential properties. So a dip in the commercial sector may prompt some investors to redirect their funds toward residential real estate, which could of course drive up demand and prices in the housing market. And as I mentioned before, the residential investment space is already really saturated with folks that either are true investors or people that want to pretend to be investors, right? There are a lot of people that want to invest in real estate and they'll do their analysis and they'll look at properties, but they never pull the trigger, right? So we call those people professional lookers. And although it doesn't necessarily have a massive impact on the specific investment that people are looking at, you know, if, if I'm a seller and I'm selling an investment property and I know that I've got a bunch of people looking at it, whether they're real investors or not, of course, I'm going to do my job as the seller and drive up demand as much as possible because that's what drives up the price. And that's why a lot of these investment properties in general are just not producing the returns that, that are needed to safely invest in property because interest rates are still high and prices are still high. And when you've got a bunch of people looking at the same property, the return on investment shrinks. And I'll just tell you, quite frankly, that's why I also own a private money lending company. You know, I'm not going to chase a return on investment, a, a shrinking return on investment when I could just be on the other side of it and lend the money at a guaranteed set amount and let the investor take the risk. Um, you know, it, it, it just, it impacts the, real, the, the rental market as well. This, this issue that might happen over the next two years with regard to commercial loan defaults. And that's, you know, the softness in the real estate sector can lead to vacant office spaces or retail properties. Some of those commercial spaces might be repurposed into residential 
you know, apartments or mixed-use developments. Of course, that affects supply and demand of the rental market, which then, of course, impacts ROI on investment properties. And then the last one is just, of course, local government revenues, right? Commercial properties contribute significantly to local tax revenues. So a decline in the commercial sector could impact, you know, local government budgets. It could lead to changes in property taxes, public services, uh, and, and all of that could in some way, shape or form influence residential property values. In essence, you know, the, the relationship between commercial and residential real estate is, is intricate, right? It's, it's interconnected, but it's complicated. And so a softening commercial market doesn't necessarily directly translate to a downturn in the residential sector, but it does introduce some factors that can influence housing dynamics. So I think that over the next two years, it's going to be very interesting. That's going to be one of the major headlines. And these SCDR loans, or I'm sorry, DSCR loans, I always get those letters mixed up for some reason, but a DSCR loan, a debt service coverage ratio loan used to really only be used for like hotels and resorts. But then several years ago, they opened up that mortgage product to Airbnbs. And so over the past several years, we've seen a massive increase in short-term rentals. And as these loans readjust to current interest rates in the next year or two, you're going to have a lot of people that can no longer make sense out of holding that property as a short-term rental. Because not every property, even though it on paper might look like a good short-term rental, it just isn't. You know, how, how many folks want to be in, you know, the outskirts of North Charleston or in Goose Creek or something like that? You know, don't get me wrong. There's demand for it. Some of these properties do really well. Um, but I think we've had a, a wide range of people purchase property, turn them into short-term rentals without thinking about the local demand for a short-term rental in that specific area. And so a lot of these people are just not achieving the return on investment that they thought they were going to get. And I think that's going to lead to some more inventory here in the next year or two, which is a good thing for the overall health of the market. You know, I always like to take a moment and just tell you guys that I appreciate those of you that listen to this program. I know there's there are a lot of you that listen to this fairly regularly. And I, and I just, I appreciate those of you that reach out. I had somebody reach out to me uh, this past week that, they just needed some help with a contractor. They had some questions they needed some advice on. And uh, if you're listening, you know who you are. But you know that's what we're here for. I'm here to be a resource for you guys. Again, I've been selling real estate here locally for 19 years. Uh, we've done you know about a billion dollars worth of real estate transactions in that period of time. And so if you need help with a contractor, if you want advice, um, if you just have a situation that you want some perspective on, here to help. Of course, we're also here to earn your business. Uh, I still sell real estate. Yes, I have a team, but I, I've, at this point, I don't think there's a team out there that has been doing it for as long as I have, uh, or that generates the amount of sales that we do where I'm still the one sitting down with you at your kitchen table, right? A lot of these teams have agents on the team that would do those things. I'm still actively involved in real estate. So if you want to speak with me personally, about buying, selling, or investing in real estate, maybe you have a home you'd like for us to manage for you, then give me a call or text me. My number is 843-800-0065. That's 843-800-0065. Or check us out online, listingsincharleston.com. That's listingsincharleston.com. Or if you'd like, you can send me an email, if that's easier for you. Brian at Brian Beatty Team. 
com. So let's talk about um, price reductions, right? It's it's um it's an uncomfortable discussion at times that agents need to have with sellers. It's something that sellers really don't ever want to talk about if if we're being honest because and 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 here's a harsh reality but a very true statement over the past several years as inventory of homes has reduced as the number of real estate agents has increased and demand for real estate locally has increased the importance of a real estate agent having their own personal listing inventory right homes to sell has really never been more important, right? They say, especially in real estate, that, that, that those agents that control the listing inventory control the market and control their own destiny. And I've always been an agent that, of course, we work with buyers and investors, but I carry uh, a large listing inventory. That's what I'm really good at, is marketing and selling people's homes, right? For top dollar, I use my experience to navigate the process, save them a bunch of money along the way, um, and get the job done. You know, one of the one of the sayings that I that I really love is that the best relationship with a real estate agent is a short one. So I try to get in, get out, get you moved on to the next chapter in your lives, uh, and do it in which uh, you're, you're earning the most money possible. Now, sometimes you're going to have uh, situations where you're interviewing multiple agents, and I do I do suggest that I think sellers should interview multiple agents. Uh, the challenge is, and we've talked about this on this program before, is that it seems like every agent that comes through the door is suggesting a higher price than the previous agent you interviewed. And that happens when you, the seller, kind of give away some information that the listing agent can then leverage in their conversation to try and earn your business. In other words, there are a lot of real estate agents out there that will tell you what you want to hear or what they think you want to hear in order to walk away with a signed listing agreement, right? And one of the easiest ways for them to do that is for them to kind of extract from you what other agents have said about your home, right? Or they're going to ask you creatively, by the way, some questions about what your bottom line is. Or how much do you want to sell the home for, right? They then they basically create this uh, benchmark where they know like, hey, if I go below this price, they might not be interested in either selling the property or hiring me. So I'm going to make sure I'm at or above whatever price they think the home is worth. And that's, that's not what you're hiring the real estate agent for. You are hiring a real estate agent to analyze your home, compare it to other properties that have recently sold, and provide you with the best opportunity possible to sell your home for the most money possible in the shortest amount of time. And you're going to have a lot of agents that are just going to what we call buy the listing, meaning they're going to say, oh, well, we could sell it for more than that. Or, you know, that other agent said 650. I was thinking 679.9, you know, might as well try and we can always come down. It's really hard to increase your price and have people take you seriously. So why don't we start up here? And then we can always bring it down. Well, the problem with that is that when your property first hits the market, you're essentially marketing to two groups of people, right? Group number one are the people that are ready, willing, and able. They want to buy something right now. They just haven't seen the right house yet. So that's group number one are the people that are ready, willing, and able. As soon as that house hits the market, they are, ma- they are immediately making a judgment call as to whether they want to go and see your home in person and or make you an offer. 
The second group of people are the people that just enter the market every day, right? Something has changed in their lives and now they're ready to buy a house. Doesn't mean they're not looking online. They're just not ready. Then something happens, timing lines up, and now they are a ready, willing, and able buyer. So when you hit, your, when you hit the market, you're marketing to those first two groups of people. Usually within the first few weeks, call it three or so weeks, you've exhausted group number one. They've seen your home online and they've made the decision to come and see it in person or not and make you an offer or not. And because inventory is so low and has been low for years, there are a ton of buyers that are just watching the market like hawks, waiting for properties to hit the market. And because they are so in tune with inventory, they're also in tune with value, right? They, they've seen homes that have hit the market that then go under contract in the next day or two. And they don't want to be caught in that position. So if they see something that is marketed well, it's in good condition, it's priced well, they're going to come and see your house and they're probably going to make you an offer. We still have plenty of homes that we sell that sell in the first few days. That hasn't disappeared. It's just a little harder. Uh, you know, As interest rates have gone up and as affordability has become an issue, that's just become a little more challenging, not impossible by any stretch of the imagination, just a little more challenging. But if you hit the market and you're priced too high, then people are going to look at it and they're going to say, eh, no, that's, that's not going to sell for that price. And what they're going to do is they're going to sit and wait and watch for you to make a price adjustment. And so the challenge for sellers that have a negative connotation with a price adjustment is that they stay on the market for longer and longer and longer before actually making an adjustment. And then by the time they actually get around to it, you're on the market for 60, 90 days, and they're going to use that against you in negotiations, whether you like it or not, because in the, in the overwhelming majority of instances, properties are still selling in the first 30 days. I mean, our average days on market in our entire market is, you know, right under a month. So we use things like inquiries from buyers, showings from buyers, offers, feedback. We look at other properties that hit the market or go under contract. You know, we don't just look at pricing one time. We gauge interest and positioning over time, which goes hand in hand with our communication guarantee that we have on my team. Wherein if, if you hire us to help you sell your house, we're going to be in touch with you at least once per week from the time you list until the time you sell. And if we don't, you can fire us. Uh, we take that very seriously because the number one issue that sellers have, or the biggest complaint sellers have of real estate agents in general is lack of communication. They have to chase the agent down for updates. There's not enough proactive communication on the agent side. Covered a lot of ground today. We've talked about the state of the market here locally as it compared to 2022. Uh, we've talked about some bigger issues with regard to investors and commercial debt. We've talked about positioning your home to sell in this market, which I do think is it's, it's going to be better than last year. I mean, we've already seen about a percent and a half decrease in interest rates from the height of interest rates, which was October of last year. So things were already looking up. We've got the Federal Reserve saying there's going to be some rate cuts this year. Let's hope those hold, right? And they don't cut them too hard, too fast, which is then going to spike inflation and cause them to go right back up uh, as a corrective measure. We'll see what happens there. Uh, and we talked about price reductions and how you know sellers are just having a little bit harder of a time uh, selling property. It depends on the area, depends on the price range, depends on who you're competing against. Um, 
But we're getting a lot of calls right now from folks that tried selling their home last year and it just didn't happen. And I just want to, for, for this last minute and a half, help you guys understand that when we're selling property, we've got a few things that kind of make or break the sale. And that's price, condition, marketing, and motivation, right? Those are the four pillars that we focus on when selling a piece of property. One thing that uh, I want to dive deeper into next episode is the marketing component. You know, price is a function of marketing. And of course, it, it ties into overall perceived value, right? But I'm finding a lot of agents are just not uh, marketing homes like, like we are or like they have the ability to. Now, it could be financial constraint. It could be lack of skill set. Um, you know, we've been doing this at a very high level for a very long time. And, and what we have basically been able to accomplish is whenever we're selling a property, we determine who we think that buyer is going to be. Is it a first-time home buyer? Is it a move-up buyer? Is it an investor? Is it a high net worth buyer? So on and so forth. We will target those people proactively and place ads in front of them for your home rather than just rely on them going to Zillow or having an agent send them properties through the MLS. There's so much that can be done from a marketing perspective especially with the help with AI. And that's what I'm going to dive into next show. If you want to reach out to me, give me a call 843-800-0065 or listingsincharleston.com is our website. Thanks for tuning in to the Brian Beatty Real Estate Show on the Big Talker 1250 WTMA. And y'all have a great weekend. 